Uh, so last week we continued to talk about the fall of uh, what falling away of culture from traditional biblical views and values, and we looked at an example of in culture where you know there was a spiritual free fall was happening, and we looked at ancient Israel, and one man decided to take action, and that changed the entire trajectory of the of the nation because this one man stepped and said yeah we're going to do this differently and we look specifically at uh, the leadership under king hezekiah we saw a point of turning and that really is our desire is for there to be a point of turning in culture um, for things to to switch back and to change back and people kind of wake up from this stupor and come to where they are um and in their example, um, we it started when the leadership shot down this hot air balloon that was over their sovereign airspace. And the hot air balloon was full of false beliefs of hot, empty air lifted up for all to see and fear filled the people. And no one could act because they didn't know what to do. And they were helpless. And they were fearful until one pilot grabbed that stick and he took aim and he delivered a missile of truth. And it pierced that massive object of our fear and speculation. And that object, it did not have legitimate authority over us. And it went away. So King Hezekiah called the people back to God. (laughs) Trying to bring in some local Myrtle Beach stuff going on here. Yeah. It was high and lifted up. It was high and lifted up. And it had no authority over us. Yeah, in in the heavenly places. In in the high and heavenly places. Yes, exactly. And so we, uh, so that that came out. So King Hezekiah is calling these people back. He's calling them back to their heritage. He's calling them back to the, uh, to God, the God of their heritage, the God of their history, um, the God of their story. And um, that's one thing about America is we have a godly heritage, a godly history. We, God is so woven into our story at critical points in our history that if you do a close examination of, of battles and events, um, you cannot escape it. It overwhelms you. The one God who truly delivered them from bondage because it was a call to celebrate Passover. It was a call to celebrate this event where they were delivered from another sovereign king, Pharaoh. And as I see it, we have a very similar task before us. And that's because we are calling people back to God. We are calling people um, back to God and away from false belief systems. We are, um, and those false belief systems, they do fill our air like hot air balloons. And they're all over these lofty ideas that question God. And they lead people astray and further and further away from God and truth. And they get deeper and deeper into a world of darkness until They're filled with pain. And we have the answer. We have Christ. Christ crucified. Christ resurrected. Christ ascended. Christ returning. Christ alone. And just want to give you a heads up. We currently have 63 days before we celebrate the central event of all history. The resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, Christ our Lord. 63 days. That's nine Sundays from today. That means we have eight weeks of opportunity, eight weeks of opportunity to invite people to come and be a part of that. Our main event. If you look at like Holy Week, we we only have eight weeks. And if you look at it like this, we have two weeks to invite people to Ash Wednesday, February 22nd. 
it's easy for us to procrastinate because we can sit there and say, ah, 63 days, it's two months, over two months. It's fine. It's a long way off. We, we, you know, don't worry about it. But two weeks, two weeks seems far more imminent, you know, than 63 days. So I want us to have a very different class today. I want us to start out with this. I want to hear your stories from this week because I challenged you this past week to share your faith, to bring God into your situation, to bring Jesus into the conversation, to invite someone to church, to tell somebody your testimony. So I want to listen and see and hear what um, what happened. Don't everybody go at once. You did what? You did not do well this week. Okay. Mary? I hand out little, little blue things. Yes. And they said they were coming, so I'm... That's great. So that she's talking about the little uh, Calvary uh, little square cards that tell about who we are. I, that's a great thing. Those are great tools. Put those in your wallet, your purse, have them. It's a great point of saying, hey, I got something to give you. They can set it somewhere. It can remind them. That's good stuff. Great. You had something? Always? Well, I'm always. <laughs> uh, I have a young man that um, is the son of one of the pilots I used to fly with, and we got hooked up last year somehow. One of those God things. And uh, he just recently got saved in, um, in 2020. Speak up just a little bit. So he got saved in 2020. He's been, um, and he is, uh, what I would say is what I find oftentimes, the Holy Spirit is just, he just wants to read the word and study it. And um, so when we got together, it was actually at an oyster roast kind of event for a reunion for the uh, Air Force guys. We just separated ourselves and ended up talking for 30, 45 minutes and then started meeting um, at different times. But we Christmas and all that, we kind of broke apart. But now he called me and um, said, could we get back together? And we met for two hours across the street. Um, just a really great, great mentoring situation that God's set up. And then another gentleman joined the uh, Bible study. Who That's great. Another gentleman said, I have a friend who needs to come here. And um, so now in the last two weeks, three weeks, I'd say maybe a month, two men have come and they're coming out of some of these uh, more liberal churches to say, I'm, I'm not getting fed there. That's great. And I need help. That's and great. So they found their way, wandered into the little Bible study. And um, my goal is never really to get them to Calvary. I, I mean, that's just not on the forefront of my mind. It is to get them to Christ. And then if they have a church, great. If they don't have a church. Obviously we have an offering here. Uh, they live in Somerville. I would find it odd that they would drive all the way to Calvary, even though I do it. Mm-hmm, um, but they're, odd. So but okay. there are a lot of churches up there. That, and sure. I, I would actually make it easy and say, you got a great church right across the street. That's where I would start. And then, if, But if you if you need a connection or a bond, come here. Um, well, I think it goes back to what you were saying about being fed. And um, and I think that's one of the unique things about Calvary. Yes, Leanne? say um i have well i played bread with the group of ladies once a month and um we we have lunch 
you know, we take a break and we have lunch. And I always say the prayer over the lunch. You know, nobody wants to do it, so I, I'm the one that does it. That's great. You're a bad person. That's great. Yeah. And so anyway, one day this lady asked me that I play bridge with. Um, she wanted to know what church I went to, and I told her, you know, I came to Calvary, and she asked me a little bit about it, and I told her we were charismatic. That was a turnoff for her, by the way. And she did, she said that that wasn't something that she was interested in. So, but anyway, that's the opportunity. I mean, like, I I don't know, I guess I, I just talk about my faith wherever I am. That's how Perry and Sheila ended up coming here, because they came to the senior center, I played bridge there, and we got to talk, and, you know, I, that's great. That came about. You know, so anyway, sometimes it works. Yeah. So uh, I would just say this, that John Goff used to invite people to Calvary and he would never tell them it was a charismatic church. He's also a Lutheran church. You should come. It's very traditional. (laughs) I just want to comment on that word charismatic, because I think initially way back when it was a good thing. But now some of these mega churches, these um, claim it and name it things and these prosperity gospel uh, mega churches and everything you see people screaming running up and down and being stupid and you know i saw one big church um on a youtube thing where they were doing the hokey pokey you put the holy spirit in and the holy spirit you know and it's wow it's got a very very negative connotation to a lot of people anymore so Mm. it used to be kind of a, a good thing an awakening that we trust and believe in the holy spirit but anymore Conservative people just kind of made think yeah. about that. So yeah. I, I generally start with that we are very conservative in our doctrine, but we're very open to the movement of the Holy Spirit. That's the way I leave it. I don't I don't use those terms anymore. Right. As you found, that term knocked it. And you don't even know what this I even said, you know, right. we're traditional, we say decree, we did, you know, we take communion, all those things. It still was just that word. Yeah. So sometimes I'll use the word uh, spirit filled or spirit led. And that, uh, that, that, that can bring people along in that conversation. Um, because you do want people to, I think you want people to come here to experience worship at Calvary. Um, because when you do come here, the presence of the Holy Spirit has always been overwhelming to me. It was one of the things that drew me here to this congregation. Well, what if you had a conversation with somebody who said uh, a nice conversation about Jesus, and they, they were very, uh, you could see they were very devout. They really, and then they said, uh, you should come to my church sometime. Um, oh, where do you go to church? And they said, I go to uh, Stella Maris down here. It's a Catholic church. How, how would you react to that? Yeah. When we say charismatic, that's what they hear. Oh, you're Mormon. Oh, you're Catholic. Oh, you're this. And all of our talk about Jesus now is wanes. Yeah, wanes because they go, oh, okay, I gotcha. So I'm, I'm just saying we have to be very careful about. Um, what we say and how we describe ourselves and um, that we're really Christ-centered. Not, we're not charismatic-centered. We're Christ-centered. Um, uh, after they visited now, then I have a different conversation with them. I said, so what did you think? And they said, I loved it. Or they said, uh, it really was different. I said, well, we try to be open to the Holy Spirit. Not open to everything. 
we're open to the Holy Spirit, and that does affect our worship. Yeah, anyway, that that's what they hear when they they hear charismatic. Sometimes yeah. others hear it, and they come to it and they go, "Oh, that's what I'm looking for," because we're on the same page with what that yeah. actually means. So, my challenge to you is: you have two weeks to invite people to Ash Wednesday, and that leads into Wednesday night services celebrating the Lent. And we have 63 days until Easter, the main event for our for our faith. Um, so last week we looked at this idea of getting back to worship. Remember King Ahaz, the wicked king, he locked the doors to the worship center. He'd broken the instruments of worship. He set up Zoom classes all across the countryside, separated believers from personal contact and corporate worship. No, wait a minute. That was the government of the United States, wasn't it? And the American church. Yes, we did that. We did that, right? So the good news is that the government has declared the the uh, pandemic of 2020 will, will be over in 90 days. I'm not making this up. So May 1st is going to be the end day of the pandemic, and the covert emergency will come to an end unless the World Economic Forum and the Communist Chinese Party are able to come up with another lab-release virus by which they can control the masses. But unless that doesn't happen, we will be free and clear of all that madness from 2020. So there's still a lot of people who have not come back to worship. A lot of people. They just walked away and they never plugged back in. So we still need to engage with those people, challenge them to return to the house of God. And why? Why do we need to challenge them to come to church, to come to worship? Because worship changes people. Worship changes people. Uh, Once a place of worship was ready, King Hezekiah sent out messengers, royal ambassadors, runners, declaring this invitation. Turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 29. We're still talking about King Hezekiah. 2 Chronicles 29. Verse 11 is where we broke off last week, so we're going to pick it up there. And this is what verse 11 says. I'm going to remind you what it says by reading this to you. My sons, do not neglect your duties any longer. Do not neglect your duties any longer. That That is a word to me. That's a word to you. All right. We have a duty. We have an obligation because we know where the culture is going. We know what they're looking for. And we know the answer that will save them that pain and those consequences. And we have a role to play in this process that God has going on. The Lord has chosen you. That's the next phrase in the verse. (laughs) The Lord has chosen you. He chose you. Yeah. God picked you. All right. He picked you. So stop neglecting your duty. Get back in the game. Engage and invite people to worship because worship changes people. To stand. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Into his presence to minister to him and to lead the people in worship. Present offerings to him. Now, let me bring in my second witness of truth, because Jesus says the truth is established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Witness number two, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. All you good Lutherans don't even have to turn to it. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then my witness to you of truth is to follow on verse 10, which we don't like to read, but we will read. And we'll read it from the Amplified because it's the best translation of this verse. For we are his workmanship, his 
own masterpiece, a work of art. He's talking about you because you are created in Christ Jesus. You are reborn from above. You are spiritually transformed. You are renewed. You're ready. You're ready to be used for good works, which God has prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which he set in motion so that we could walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and has made ready for us. It's easy for us today to sit here and be critical of those who came before us, who made poor choices and mistakes and wrong decisions. And we got to deal with those consequences, whether it's like we talked about last week with taking the Bible and prayer out of schools or deciding to shut the churches down in 2020. In the end, those choices are the pathways that God picked for us. He chose that was the best way to work out the best possible outcome for the majority of the souls in humanity. And we can look back and question it and say, I don't see how this is going to help us and how it's going to work out. But we have to trust the sovereignty of God. In fact, we have to rest in the sovereignty of God. Dare I say, we will identify in the sovereignty of God. And in that sovereignty, God has set up a pathway for us to intersect. And this is where you're, this is your job. 63 days. God has set up pathways for us to intersect with other specific people at particular times. And along that pathway of intersection, he has set up inside of us and in their lives, circumstances. Many times circumstances, we have no idea what they are because we might be just meeting this person at the cash register for the first time. We have no idea that he's got that bad news from the doctor or that person walked out of their life or they got met with this tragedy or what was done to them five years ago and how it's ruled their life and held them in bondage and kept them from moving forward or approaching God because some Christian ticked them off one day at church because of something they said or did. God ordained circumstances. Those same circumstances that are preparing that person we're intersecting with has also prepared us. God has prepared you because of what you've already gone through in your life. In the pain and the joy, the experience of life, God's prepared you and he's given you what you need. He's built up your faith. He's given you courage. And now he's brought a circumstance into your life where you're crossing paths with somebody that maybe not wasn't on your agenda for today. They weren't, you weren't on their agenda for today, but God's put it together. And now we've got faith, we've got courage, and it's been cultivated inside of you. And now the other person, God has cultivated an open heart in them. And now they're yearning for something. They're looking for something. They may be willing to learn about God. And now you have the truth of the identity of Jesus, and you have the opportunity to bring them to this discovery. You can change their eternal trajectory by what you say in that interaction, by the words of truth that come out of your mouth from the Holy Spirit in your heart, you can change somebody. And God has set you up for this right now. He picked you to do this today. This is your job. This is your task. He's called you for this. Now, we get to be a part of that. So you know what that makes us? You know what that makes me and Mr. Roy? We're just errand boys. That's all we are. Aaron boys. Missionary. missionary. Yeah. We're just an Aaron boy. We're delivering a message. Missionary. Or you know what? You're just a messenger girl dropping off an invitation. And that's what that's all we are. Because that's what the king did. In Second Chronicles chapter 
chapter 30, let's look at verses 1, 2, and 3. Second Chronicles 30. Hezekiah proclaims a Passover. Then Hezekiah sent out word throughout all of Israel and Judah. He also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh. Now understand this, this invitation, and it's the same invitation we have. We're getting ready to celebrate Passover in 63 days. Not just any old Passover, not the old Egypt Passover. We're celebrating the real Passover, the final, the ultimate, the real Passover, not the shadow of an image of the thing that's been going on in the background. This is the real deal. This is the Lamb of God we're celebrating. The invitation is going far beyond the comfort zone. This kingdom is divided. This king does not have authority where he's sending these messengers. He's just an enemy to them. And that might be you this week. You may be the messenger that's walking into a place that is not your comfort zone with a message that you don't think you're prepared to give. But I promise you, you are. Because once you contain the message and you receive the gospel, you become the message and you ex- you expel the gospel to others. We're giving people the opportunity to engage with God. We got 63 days. It's a point of conversation we can easily bring up. All right. We are not Charlemagne. Marching folks down to the river with the choice. Would you like to be baptized in the Christian faith? Or we can walk over here to the execution line and have your head cut off. That's not what we're doing. We're giving people the opportunity to engage with God. All right. Continue in the verse, inviting them to come to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem to keep the Passover of the Lord, the God of Israel. Here is your message. Here is your point of intersection. Here is your toe in the door. All right. Hey, what y'all doing for Easter this year? That's it. That's all you have to say. And you know why? Because most people have no idea when Easter is. That's why they know it usually happens on a Sunday. It typically comes in the spring, but they have no idea when Easter is. And when you say that, it triggers something in their mind and they begin to go, oh, yeah, what am I doing for Easter this year? Am I going to grandma's house? We're going to watch a game. We're going to eat somewhere. Oh, why don't you come to church with me? We're going to celebrate. You should be a part of this. Okay. And you know what they might do? They might say, well, I'll just ask that we might do that this year. And you know how I said I know that because that was the reaction I had from someone this week. Yes, sir. Back in 1981 in uh, in uh, San Diego, California, a school principal uh, was uh, asking his wife, well, maybe we should stop calling them Easter eggs. We should call them spring eggs. <laughs> this was 1981. Wow. Culture has fallen, huh? Really turns against God. All you have to, all you have to do. Yes, sir. Do you know when Easter is? How do we put it on the calendar? Comes up a Passover, right? It's uh, that's what it should be, but that's not what it is. Okay. It, it's the first Sunday after the first full moon. Yes, after the first lunar equinox. Actually, it's what the first. After I don't know what Indian is. Fourth full moon of the year. Yeah. So it can be as late as April. 20, April 19th, and as early as March, I believe, 19th. So there's a whole, whole month. Right. Goes, but it's always on the phone. So, so, the so no, it's the church turned it into like that's how we have the Easter bunny and the Easter egg and stuff. Well, that's the corruption of the holiday. Yeah, the word Easter is not actually in the Bible. 
But Easter is directly out of Jewish worship. Yeah, so it, it is it is a celebration that's tied to the Passover, which is tied to Jesus in his life and death. Verse 2, for the king and his officials and the whole assembly of Jerusalem had decided to keep the Passover for the second month. So that is what we are doing. We are celebrating Passover, and we're not, and we're celebrating the real Passover, okay? This is not the escape from Egypt. This is, po- which was poetry in motion, which was people's lives being lived out to illustrate a larger truth that's yet to come. Jesus, the word made flesh living among us. So, so this is not the real deal, not the image of what was to come. The real deal is Jesus giving his innocent life to set slaves like me and you free from the bondage of sin, to liberate us from a life of misery, to liberate us from a destiny in hell, separated from God and all things that are lovely. We are celebrating and remembering the final Passover, the ultimate Passover, the pinnacle Passover, where the Lamb of God was offered, where God said, it is done. It's complete. No more can be done. Nothing else can be added. My masterwork is complete. In the words of Jesus, it is finished. Verse three, since they had been unable to observe it at a regular time. Now, does that sound familiar? Covert 2020? Everything was kind of thrown off the regular calendar? Because not enough priests had been consecrated, hadn't consecrated themselves, and the people had not gathered in Jerusalem. Urgency, okay? Urgency, urgency. We have 63 days, people, two weeks to invite people to Ash Wednesday to join in on every Wednesday night service, to be part of fellowship here before, worship during, and to get to know Jesus again, to re-engage with, with, with worship in the church and God. We have urgency here. So last week we looked at the fall of the American culture and we discussed, Mr. Roy brought it up, he said, the blessed hope of our salvation, the return of Jesus Christ, right? Yes. I'm ready. America, yeah. America's going to hell in a handbasket, but thank the Lord Jesus is coming back, right? Not a, yeah, it's not the best thing, right? But where does that come from? It comes from Titus. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to everyone. It instructs us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live sensible, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Verse 13, as we await the blessed hope and glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Speak these things as you encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. So what if, let's play, let's play the what if game. What if God decided to return for his bride, the church, this Easter Sunday. Mr. Roy would be happy. Okay. But wait, 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 what you say. That sounds like date setting, doesn't it? Hmm. I said, what if? I didn't say it's going to be. And date setting is wrong, right? Because uh, that's what Jesus said, right? So let me bring a thought to your mind. Jesus said, no man knows the day nor the hour. Matthew 24, 36. So let me wrap your mind around something. Okay. I cannot say that Jesus is coming back today. And you, you cannot say that Jesus is not coming back today. That's a riddle. That leads us to urgency. 
because I can't say he is and you can't say he's not, which leads us to urgency of our task, spreading the gospel, asking people to re-engage with God. Our world, our culture, our society, and sadly, the church is hurtling down these corridors of darkness. And we are drifting further and further away from God. And we are on this collision course with some very painful consequences. The judgment of God. We possess the one thing. The one thing that can change all that. It can change our future. And this, of course, is the good news about the love of God displayed in the life and the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the soon return of Christ. Let's go back to Second Chronicles chapter 30. So before you get to yes, sir. That, just a break. Yes. Um, you said we're Aaron boys. I, I'm about three months ago in this class, I think I said I prefer the uh, I prefer the job title of uh, we're the tour guide. We are there's only one purpose for the tour guide. That's to lead you to the attraction. The tour guide seems to know how to get there. He seems to know a lot about the attraction. And he seems like, and when people, have you ever been on one of those tours and you're not with the tour? Sometimes I go stand next to the tour so I can hear what's the professional know about this attraction. I just came to look at it, but he's got a whole spiel on it. He knows everything. And I want to stand over there. So as we go about our business, about our day, one, does it appear you're going somewhere with your daily activities? Like me, I go to the dump three times a month, five times a month. I'm always looking for a thing. How's your day going? You know, I'm not doing my leaves. He's been doing his leaves. And, and that's a conversation. And those can be great conversations. Same thing in the grocery store, everywhere I this conversation is going somewhere because I'm the tour guide. I'm leading the conversation. And if he wants to go where that conversation is going, he will or she will. Depends on who I'm talking to. So anyway, I prefer to to think of it in that term because that puts me in a whole nother thing. The Aaron boy does also. I, I, I don't mind that one either because I'm on a task then, you know, um, an errand guy has to go do his, his thing. But uh, does anybody remember the story, uh, Dog Party? It's a Dr. Seuss book, I think. Yes. Where are you going? Dog Party. Dog Party. Yeah, so all the moms kind of remember this. It's a silly story, and they're all just going somewhere. Everybody seems to be going somewhere. He says, where are you going? I'm going to the dog party. Do you like my hat? No, I do not like your hat. We're going to the dog party. That's the way we should be. That people should go, where are you going, Lloyd? To the party. I'm going somewhere. That that our behavior and our 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 when we're out on mission is what I guess I'm saying. Because uh, sometimes we're not out on mission. Sometimes we're depressed. We're lonely ourselves. We're down. And then we need somebody to come along. The last thing I want if I'm depressed is another depressed guy to come. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so we can wallow in our misery. But if somebody came and said, how are you feeling? I said, I'm depressed. Be honest. 
And then I want them to leave me out if they can, if it's possible right? Uh, to leave me out. You, you know, the, the old thing, mm-hmm. just get happy. Well, right. Can't always get happy. But we, we do have the antidote so we can come and we can encourage if we're in that shape. We could be the other guy. But uh, yeah. Anyway, so I'm going to a dog party. Always. Always. I'm waking up. By the way, all the dogs are happy. They, they just seem to know where they're going, they, except for one guy doesn't know. And he goes, where are you going? To the dog party. We are going to heaven. We are going to the promised land. We are on our way already. We're ultimately going home. We're going home. And so now all the songs, you don't have to do the dog party thing, but Beulah uh, Land, sweet Beulah Land. We're going home. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are climbing. We are going home. And some of us are closer than others. We don't know, though. <laughs> but we're closer. And we should be going. There's part of me that says, I love this class. But there's part of me that says, I can't wait to get home. And that will be conveyed in your in your message as mm-hmm. you go out with your errands and Right. Or your I like what you said there because um, I've been to a lot of um, places where you didn't need a guide, like uh, the Montmartre in, mm-hmm. in, uh, in France, and then we're going to go to the Coliseum. Here's what's necessary about a tour guide. You don't know what you might miss. I mean, you're looking at something, you have no idea what it is, and if you, if you, if you have a tour guide, you can say what you're missing if you don't have Christ. Mm-hmm. The second thing I'd say is... Um, Everything in the Bible is extraordinarily terse, except when it comes to something important. All these other kings, they might get a paragraph. We're going on to, about Hezekiah for two or three chapters because he latched, he latched on to the one thing that mattered. And the third thing is regarding Easter. Hebrews says, without, let me read this, Hebrews 9. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. You see that a lot in this chapter. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Which means, have you tried uh, excusing your conscience? I've got the news about Jesus, who is the one who shed blood, cleanses you from all sin. There is no one on this planet that can forgive themselves, not one. And so we all need Jesus. And to hear about the shedding of blood takes away our sin. That's Easter. And Easter cannot be told without the cross. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the, the center point of history. And that's the center point of our faith. And everything pivots and orbits around it. In verse 10, the messengers went to every town in Ephraim and West Manasseh, as far north as the territory of Zebulon, and the people laughed and insulted them. The World English Bible says, but people ridiculed them and mocked them. The NIV says, but people scorned and ridiculed them. So these are the king's emissaries going out and inviting people to come back to worship. So guess what? People are going to laugh at you. They're going to scorn you. They're going to ridicule. They're going to mock you. They might not do it to your face, but they're going to be like, whatever, Easter, who cares? I'm going to get drunk. Go down and get the free mimosa bar. That's where I'm going. Yeah, that's my favorite. Bottomless mimosa on Easter day. That's what I'm looking for. Verse 11, nevertheless, some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulon humbled themselves, and came to Jerusalem. Worship changes people. 
Verse 14 says this. They set to work and removed the pagan altars from Jerusalem. They took away all the incense altars and threw them in the Kidron Valley. We don't have to tear down the false belief systems in our culture. When these people came to, came to the worship and they got their focus back on God and they began to realize what life was really about and they began to experience forgiveness and relationship and fellowship, they tore down the false belief systems around them. They brought the nation back. The people will come to God. They will disassemble those false belief systems on their own. Worship changes people. Look at verse 23 of chapter 30. Then the whole assembly agreed together to keep the feast for another seven days. A 14-day worship service. And y'all thought we had long worship, huh? So they kept it for another seven days with gladness. What's going on here? Worship changes people. When people get God, when Jesus reaches them, when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in them, they change their schedules. Worship becomes a pleasure. People seek more and more of it. But this doesn't stop here. Go on down to chapter 31. Look at the first verse of chapter 31, Second Chronicles. When all this had ended, the Israelites who were there went out to the towns of Judah and they smashed the sacred stones and they cut down the Asherah poles. They destroyed the high places and the altars throughout Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim and Manasseh. And they, after they had destroyed all of them, the Israelites returned to their own towns and to their own property. Worship changed people. Yes, sir. You're right in saying worship changes people. Going to church doesn't change people. No. And we need to see that distinction. When we came into charismatic renewal, what changed was our worship. Right. And you know, people were saying, well, let's get the youth group going. Let's get this going. And, you know, and that's fine. But it's worship. What is your going to church like? Is it worship? Yeah. That'll change us. We, uh, so many people change. Jim can verify that. Many people change. They had no idea what was going on here. But they thought it was a style. But I, I was going to pull out something, but Pastor kind of helped me jump into it. That when we started the youth group, which five kids, then 10, then 12, and then all of a sudden we were, had all kinds of kids coming. I had a, another youth group pastor said, what program are you using? And of course, since we were not trained um, youth group leaders, we didn't even know there was a program we could buy or some. They said, are you using the uh, X program? We said, we don't have that. Well, they were looking at the kids that had grown from seven to 25 to 60 on a year retreat. And we said, we don't have a program. Well, what do you do? We said, well, we come, we sing a little bit, we always teach, and then we pray one-on-one with the kids sometimes, and we do back-to-backs. We just do fun stuff like regular youth groups. They said, uh, we talk about what we sing. And they said, well, kids won't worship. I said, yeah, they will. But you had, and Shannon can remember, we worshiped. Not every kid worshiped. They didn't even know how. But to 
sing it to kids that were um, anywhere from seventh grade to twelfth grade. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. We sang upbeat songs. We sang sold out and radical and some fun songs. And we always did the, um, the, um, the, yeah, I don't want to be a sheep. I, I don't want to be a Pharisee. You know, we, we sang those too. But the worship, and they said, well, kids won't worship. And I said, well, you got you to gotta keep worshiping. And even if Dixie and I were the only ones worshiping, we were going to do worship. And and that is that just means worship as a time like we do with singing. Oh, through the door. I'll let Shannon Shannon talk about that. There was worship, and then I think, and then playing my guitar. Like the door, did the door open? I don't know. There was this wind or something, and the Holy Spirit completely filled that room and fell on everybody. (laughs) A young man gave his testimony about his father. And that broke kids' hearts. And then we began to sing. Just I was just singing my guitar. And then all of a sudden it was Katie barred the door, which she didn't. (laughs) The Holy Spirit came in. Kids started singing in tongues and crying, breaking off into groups. It lasted for about an hour and a half. At an hour and a half, I would I'm looking at Dixie going, I guess I'll just keep playing. But they were singing. I was singing, but they weren't. They were praying with each other. And then at an hour and a half, I just sensed something different. I said, you know what? Some of you kids don't want to be here anymore. And that's fine. You can leave. Those of you who want to stay, I'll just continue to play. And some stayed. And about half of them said, I'm ready to go, you know, roll in the snow again. Um, but it was an event that actually changed the whole uh the whole thing, but it began with worship Mm -hmm. and you can neglect the worship part. And and again, I'm going to make sure we understand you can worship when you're, when you're ministering, when you're visiting, when you're uh, witnessing, or you can worship what we call worship is that singing, that time of giving the Lord praise, uh, you know, doing a song. And that's the top, that's the worship I'm talking about. We began with songs, songs that there's a, um, uh, we used to talk about a difference in praise and worship. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. I will sing unto the Lord. That's praise. I love you, Lord. And I lift my, that's worship. And it's a, it's a little bit of a distinction. And so. I'm only talking about that part. They said you can't get kids to do that. You can get them to sing, woohoo, put your right foot in, put your right foot. You can get them to do that. You can't get them to do this. Yes, you can. You can't, but God can. But you have got to open that, that time up and allow for God to do his thing. And when he's ready, he'll turn their hearts and then they will do it. And how do you think our worship was after that ski retreat where God, where the Holy Spirit did that? You think I had to beg them to worship Mm-mm. later? No. The next Sunday when we had our next meeting, I started worship. They were ready to worship because God had already touched them. And now they wanted to connect with that. And now you had to teach them after six months. You know, you can't just keep going back to that thing. God has a, God has another opportunity. 
he'll touch you again. And you can't just always go back 25 years and talk right. about that. He, he'll touch us again. Yep, exactly. But it's worship. It's worship. And, you know, when God got into those people, the people got into culture and then they changed it. You know what would stop all of this right now? All the bad stuff we don't like seeing in society. You know what would, would change it and make it all go away? Get rid of all the bad people. Jesus coming back. Well, that might make it worse. If society turned off the spigot and said, thanks, but no thanks. I've had enough. I don't want any more of that. I don't want to consume that anymore. I don't want to watch that anymore. I don't want to read that anymore. I don't want to think that anymore. If there was no longer an appetite for that, my appetites have changed. My desires of my heart have changed. I have a new set of values. All of that would end because there would not be a market for it. They'd be producing a product nobody wants to buy, and that would change it. We have 10 minutes left, and I want us to go to the most important part of what I wanted to bring you all today. This is the most important part. We're going to spend the last 10 minutes of this class praying because prayer is the only tool that's going to bring all this about. And I want us to build a tower of prayer. And here's how this works. We are the temple. And we're going to lay a foundation in prayer. And so the the foundation is not built on us. The foundation is built on who God is. So we're going to begin this group prayer by declaring the names of God. Some of you all have done this with me. We're going to declare the character of God. We're going to declare attributes of God, aspects of the nature of God. And then we're going to transition from the character of God. We're going to begin to raise our prayers in praise and declaring the blessings of God. And the words of thanksgiving. And then we're going to follow the example of King Hezekiah in Second Chronicles 29, 21 through 24, where the king confessed the sins of the people. They weren't his sins. They were sins of his nation. And he brought them before God and he confessed them for the people. And he asked for forgiveness for the nation. Because that's the only place we're going to see change is when we, the temple, are willing to, to do this and intercede for our nation. The next thing he asked for in verse 31 was he asked for willing hearts, for hearts to be willing to carry this message to others, for hearts to be willing to receive this message about Jesus so they can reconnect with God. And that's going to be our prayer. All right. So I'll, I'll start out and lead us in this, then we'll close. Father God in heaven, you are high and lifted up. You alone are holy. Lord God, you are the God of our righteousness. You are the maker of all things. The God who sees. Lord, you do not shame any. Healer of our soul. The lifter of our hands. The king of kings. 
You have conceived us and called us and made us your own. You're the healer of our hearts. You are the God of peace. The Lord, you are also a consuming fire. And your justice is perfect and pure. Yes, Lord. Your ways are holy. Father, we thank you that you're compassionate and merciful to us because of your wrath. Father, if it were not for your mercy, your compassion, and your grace, we would have no chance. Lord, you are faithful. You are our Redeemer. You are my Savior. You make all things new. You are love, peace, and joy. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. A protector. A strong tower and a shelter. You are our righteousness. We praise you, Lord, for the, the blessings of salvation. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you live so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. You are the peace in your struggle. Father, I praise you for your goodness. Oh, you've made a way when there seemed to be no way. Your grace and your mercy. Lord, you have prepared celebration resurrection for us be the voice of all those who haven't heard and all those that have before you. We thank you, Lord, for giving us the opportunity to share in spreading the good news of who you are. We thank you, Lord, for our families, for our church, for your word. And so, Father, now we transition to a time of confession and we, we confess our own sins, our own shortcomings, our failings. And we confess those of our nation. Forgive us, Lord, for not valuing life 
for thinking that some lives are more important than others, for thinking we don't have time to help people. Forgive us, Lord. Father, we just confess that our nation murders children in the womb. Father, that is abhorrent to you. Lord, that is something you never directed. Father, forgive our nation for that. God, you are Alpha and Omega. Father, forgive us for not believing that you can do all things. God, forgive us for being silent when you are assaulted. Father, forgive our nation for what we do when we misuse and misconstrue your gift of sexuality and humanity. Lord, forgive our nation for apostasy. Lord, forgive us for chasing our idols, whether it be money, power, and other objects. Forgive us, Lord, for putting our pleasure above, above your purposes. Father, forgive us that we have turned from your clear word and we have searched after other sources of wisdom, other, other sources of information, other idols. Father, we ask you to, to use us to redeem a nation, to redeem a people. We ask you, Lord, to, to use us to, to bring people back to faith, to bring them back to a point of engagement and worship with you. We ask you to give us opportunities this week. We ask you to give us courage to speak. We ask you to give us the words to say. We ask you, Lord, to use us your tour guides, your messengers, your missionaries. Help us, Lord, to always recognize that it's not about us. It's about you and other people. So help us to see the others the way as you see them, to recognize their hurt and their need, and to bring the truth of who you are to them in their situation so they can experience the rescue that we have. Please, Lord, use us to do your work in a mighty way. In the precious name above all names, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.